Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, church. Welcome, neighbors. I'm glad to be with you. That's a little hot. Yeah, there we go. That's better. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. Last week, we opened up a series that we've just simply titled Values. And um, our mission together as a church is uh, we are inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Um, it's, a, it's a principle uh, that is biblical. It's the thing that Jesus left for us to do. We read it together at the close of every celebration that we have. So um, I don't know if you have noticed, if you've been uh, connecting with us for any amount of time, that as we close and as we go out, we close with uh, Jesus' words before he ascended into heaven. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if, if, as we try to wrestle through that paragraph and those words, how do we... How do we understand? How do we package those words? How do we articulate those words in a way that we can take with us? Our mission, Neighborhood Church, is to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Um, and I'll just make a point. This isn't in my notes. I didn't plan to say it until um, this morning, like just now. Um, our mission is to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, our, our mission is not to invite our neighbors to come to Neighborhood Church and fill up an, an, a room. Um, so we, we celebrated this morning. We gathered together, um, and you're invited to come and gather with us at 9.30 on Sunday mornings to pray for our gathering and to pray for our neighbors. Um, and so we do that every week, and we celebrated together this morning that there are three people that we have been praying together as a, as a church for years. Um, Spencer, you'll hear more of his story later. Um, Lynn and uh, Ronnie. Thank you. <clears throat> that all three in the last couple of weeks have been have made decisions to follow Jesus. Like they they're moving towards walking with Him. There's a lot going on in their lives. They're trying to figure out what that looks like, and they and they have taken their first steps with Jesus. People we have prayed for for years, and the odds of them coming and being in this room with us is very small. And so we have accomplished our mission, and it has not grown our attendance. So I'm excited about that, um, and that's what our mission is. But knowing what our mission is, knowing what it is that we're supposed to do, um, doesn't necessarily tell us how it is that we're going to do it. So your job probably has somewhere in it, if, you, if you're working outside the home, somewhere in there there's an objective of make more money than we spend, right? Every, like, businesses typically operate by that. If they don't operate by that, they don't operate very long. Right? Make more money than we spend. That's part of why we have businesses. Okay? But that doesn't tell us how we're going to make more money than we spend. Do we make more money by stealing it? Do we make more money by uh, not spending on things that are actually essential? Do we make more money? Like, how is it that we make more money? Like, make more money is, is, is neither a good nor bad goal. But how we choose to do it actually is what matters. And so that's actually the heart of this series that we've called Values. It's not just that we want to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, but we want to have clarity about how we are doing that. What are the priorities? What are the things that we value um, as a church? 
that are going to guide us in our steps. And so we started um, a, with a little bit of an existential crisis. What's the meaning of life for us personally? Um, and we decided that the meaning of life is Jesus. <laughs> He's pretty clear about that. And so we put Jesus first. We center everything on his love and his grace because he alone has set us free. We, we looked at that in, in John 15. And, and he says, like, if you put me first, if you, as we sang together, abide in me as I in you, then you will bear much fruit and my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. I tend to be skeptical of preachers who want to tell you how to live a happy life and who's like, Opening lines are like, if you want to have a happy life or this is how to be successful, if that's how you start, I tend to be a little bit skeptical um, until I realized, um, well, I still remain skeptical of, of other preachers, but when I realized that Jesus begins his most famous sermon with a list of blessings, blessed is the man, blessed is, blessed is the Beatitudes um, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, that starts, um, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's not wrong to meet people where they necessarily want, want to be. We want to have a happy life, right? Anybody here sign up and really want to be miserable for the rest of their life? All right. We already know Sarah's special. <laughs> None of us really wants to live a, a bad life, an unhappy life. We want to live a happy life. And Jesus says, look, if you want to live a happy life, if you, if you want a life full of joy, full joy and enduring fruit, that happens when you abide in me. Um, so, so we put Jesus first. Like, we abide in him. That's our goal personally, and that's our goal as a church. As we begin to make decisions, we ask the question, does this put Jesus first? Does this represent Jesus to our neighbors? We don't just want to introduce, or we don't just want people to, or we don't just want to be inviting people to follow Jesus. We want, whether we get the opportunity to invite them to follow him or not, we want them to have met him through us. So what we do is a representation of Jesus in our neighborhoods, right? Invite our neighbors to meet and follow. Um, but how do we do that? How do we know anything about Jesus? What, what are the mechanisms by which knowledge of Jesus is conferred? I heard scripture. Any other ideas? Prayer? Prayer? His people. Who, where did you first begin to wrestle with the idea of Jesus? Sunday school? Okay, yeah. My, 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 my suspicion is that somebody told you about Jesus before you read about him. That, that knowledge of Jesus is conferred through the community. And so do we put then a bunch of emphasis and a bunch of trust in what we have learned about Jesus from our traditions? Because there's a lot of people in your life that have a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. Whether they like, make any sense or not, I, you know, <laughs> we kind of wrestle through that. But what is it that we actually, like, if we're going to put Jesus first, what is it that's going to be the basis of our understanding for who Jesus is? Is it going to be our traditions? Um, I already know uh, some of our prejudices because when I first asked the question, you're like, well, Scripture, of course. We, 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 we're going to look at Scripture. Um, what's the relationship between Scripture and tradition? Um, and, and where is it that we're going to put our trust? Those, those are questions that I like to wrestle with 
uh, a little bit this morning, if you'll join with me in that. Can we do that together? Sure? Okay, good. Um, as we begin, I'd like to ask Jesus to, uh, to uh, help to point our hearts in the right direction. Um, and so I'd like for us to pray together the disciples' prayer. This is the model of prayer that Jesus left for those who choose to follow him. Um, and it's helpful for us if we're going to pray together to use the same words. So that's why they're up on the screen. Would you, um, you can pray out loud with me if you'd like, but at the very least, would you bow your hearts together with me and pray this? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we talked last week, I, we looked at the, uh, the book of John. Um, the book of John is a biography of Jesus written by one of his closest friends. And I told you that the, the way that that book develops is it, it takes 12 chapters to go through th- about three, four years of ministry, and then everything slows down into slow motion, and the, and the next huge chunk of chapters is talking about, like, two days. So we've got... A chunk of chapters that are three years, and then we got one that's three days, right? So everything slows down, and it's, it slows down in the night before Jesus was betrayed. So um, it's been a week for us since we were in John chapter 15, um, but we're going to look in John chapter 17 tonight, John or today, <laughs> tonight. <clears throat> we're going to look at John chapter 17, verses 11. It's on page 1128 in these blue Bibles, if you'd like to turn there. 1128, John 17. And even though uh, it's been a week since we talked about John 15, and even though it's several chapters after John 15, remember that all of these words were spoken on the same evening. This is Jesus together with his disciples the night before he's going to be crucified. And he's got, I've got some things I need to communicate to you. He opens up that night by serving them, by washing their feet. After he washes their feet, Judas leaves, and he continues to teach the 11 that are left. This is like, if you knew you had hours left to live, what would you want to tell the people that you loved the most? And by God's grace, he's recorded Jesus' words on that night. So let's look together in John 17, verses 11 through 19. Uh, let, me, let me say one more word before we begin reading. Um, from 13 to 16, Jesus is teaching and talking. And in verse 17, he begins to pray. So where we say, um, where most people would call our prayer together at the beginning of the sermon, they'd call that the Lord's Prayer. Um, I call that the disciples' prayer because that's the prayer he left for the disciples to pray. Um, John 17 is what I would call the Lord's Prayer. This is where Jesus gets on his knees and prays for the disciples before they go into this huge, um, before they go into the crucifixion and watching their master die. So he's praying for his disciples. And as he lifts up uh, his voice to the Father in, in 17 verse 11, he says this. 
And I am no longer in the world, but they, my disciples, are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus is praying for the 11 disciples here. He's walked with them. Uh, They've been on camping trips together, extended camping trips. Um, They know each other's uh, mannerisms. They know who doesn't clean up after themselves, who doesn't like to wash the dishes. Um, They know who has the worst body odor. Like, they they know each other intimately. They're disciples, and they have walked together in a way that most uh, modern teachers don't walk with their students. And now the teacher turns to pray for his students, and this is his heart poured out to the Father for them. He prays, I am leaving I've been with them for all this time, and now I am leaving. He says it three times, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 19. He says, I'm leaving now. I'm leaving now. I'm leaving now. So, so Father, as I am leaving, I, I'm trusting you to take care of them. He says in verse 11, keep them in your name. You've put your name on them. You have marked them as your own. Would you keep them in your name? Would they live a life that's worthy of the title that you have given them, that you have put your holy name on them? Keep them in your name. Keep them from the evil one. Guard them. Protect them. Keep them from the evil one. And in verse 13 and in verse 17, set them apart. Sanctify them. Make them distinct. Why? Well, first he says, so that they may be one as we are one, so that we may all have fellowship with each other. God, do these things for them so that they can walk with you in a special way, so that they can walk with me in a special way, that they may be one as you and I are one. And also, verse 13, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We want to live a happy life, right? Jesus says, abide in me, and my joy will be in you, and your joy will be made complete. And then as he's praying, he's praying, Father, would you do these things for them so that my joy may may be in themselves? So this isn't just like I'm a Bible thumper, and I really am excited to hit people with the Bible. Like I actually want people to have a good quality of life. I just have the suspicion that the best quality of life we can have is if we interact with God in an appropriate manner, Right? If you are in a relationship with somebody who's in authority over you um, and, they, and you don't acknowledge their authority over you, there's going to be some tension in that relationship and the quality of your life in that relationship is going to suffer. 
We know that on a small scale. Um, parents, we know uh, that when children don't acknowledge us as parents, there's some tension there. Um, people who have had uh, people that work for them or have been working with them, like when, when we get the relationship out of order like we, and, and there's frustration there, right? How much more so when we're talking about the, the sovereign creator of the universe? The one who like molded us as dirt, took dirt from the ground and molded us, and then breathed his own breath into us that we might live at the beginning? For us to use that breath to say, I don't need you, uh, is a little bit offensive. <laughs> that they may have my joy in themselves. So what is the tool? What is the tool that God is going to use these, God is going to accomplish these things? How is he going to keep them in, how is he going to keep the disciples in his name? How is he going to keep them from the evil one? How is he going to set them apart? Verse 17, I'll read it to you. Sanctify them in truth, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. The tool of God's work in Jesus' disciples' lives is God's word. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is a, a church word. It's a Bible word, and it's not one that we use a ton. Um, I typically use the metaphor of the toothbrush. Uh, sanctified is a word that means set apart, and all of us have several toothbrushes in our house. We've got one that's sanctified for your mouth, there's probably one that's sanctified for every mouth that's in your house. And then there's another one that's sanctified uh, in a different way. You keep that one under the kitchen sink, and that one is sanctified for the grout, right? You don't use that grout-cleaning toothbrush on your teeth. The purpose is the same. They both clean, but they're sanctified for different uses, right? That's what sanctified means. But the method of sanctification, so as we look at the Hebrew scriptures, as God revealed how to sanctify things, often the process of sanctification was washing. So when he says sanctify them in truth, he's saying set them apart in truth. Wash them in truth. When the vessels in the temple had to be sanctified because they had become unclean, they were washed. And it wasn't a one-time thing. Like, like, we distance ourselves when we read Leviticus. We can get bored reading it. But there's so much blood and gore in Leviticus, like, if we, if we have eyes to see it. And so imagine that somebody's going to kill an animal, and they're going to gonna sprinkle the animal's blood on different articles in the temple. Like, these things were used... Um, to make sacrifices, and they were used to, to, to do all these things, somebody has to clean up the blood afterwards. The article has become unclean, and it needs to be washed, because I have work for it to do tomorrow. So when, when we hear sanctify them in our truth, the picture is not only being set apart, but it is a repeated washing Wash them in your truth. Your word is truth. Wash them in your word. What is the status of our biblical hygiene? How regularly are we washed 
in the Word. I have preteens in my home. Hygiene is not a matter of declaration. Just because you have said, I put deodorant on, does not mean you have put deodorant on. And even if you think that by saying, I have put deodorant on, there is nobody in the house who is fooled by your declaration if you have not already put deodorant on. Hygiene is not a matter of debate. And even if you think you can convince yourself that you don't smell that bad, nobody else in your life is convinced if you haven't already washed. What is the status of our biblical hygiene? Perhaps the reason people are so fed up in our culture with Christians is because they say they live by the Word of God and they haven't even touched it. They're saying, I've been made clean by this, but the last time they got near it, they thought, man, that smells too clean. I don't think I want that on my body. What's the status of our biblical hygiene? And I'm not making that statement because I want you to feel guilty. I'm not making that statement because I want to hit you with the Bible. I'm making that statement because Jesus says, this is the key to your joy. That my joy may be in them. Wash them in your truth. And we, we are so deceived, we're so captive by sin in our hearts that we look at the Word and say, man, that's boring. That doesn't actually apply to me. I don't have time to spend any time with that. And it shows. So as people, we need to trust the Bible. We need to be washed by it. We trust the Bible. We depend on Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through His Word. As people, is that true of us? As a congregation, will that be true of us? When questions come about what it is that we're going to be doing, we'll say, well, does that put Jesus first? And is that consistent with what God teaches in his word? There are lots of good things that we could be doing, and yet if God gives us specific instructions about what we must do, to neglect what we must do, to do what we could do, is wrong, whether it's a good or bad thing. We trust the Bible. We depend upon Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through His Word. Cool, I came to church for the preacher to tell me the Bible was a good thing. Like, I got it. On board. Sure, Michael, got it. Um, Maybe you have some objections. So let me give you two objections. You may have more. And if you have more, I really would actually like to hear them because I sometimes forget that there are people who think differently than me. And so if I don't have conversations with you, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just as lost as, as they are. So if you have more objections than these two, um, then please come. I, I really want to talk about it. I want to hear. Like, I don't just want to correct you. I want to hear what it is you're saying, okay? Um, first objection. What about the Holy Spirit? I thought, I thought God left the Holy Spirit for it. Doesn't, doesn't the Holy Spirit, like, isn't that the, the tool that God uses to lead us and guide us? Like, don't I just need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit? Yes. But 
Don't miss, I'm not, I'm not going to turn and read them, but you could write them down. Maybe you can write them down in, in, the, in your Bible or uh, if you want to take some notes or you want to text it to yourself. In, in the same passage, so in John 14, verses 23 through 24, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to tell you the word. He's going to deliver to you the thing that I say to him. Yes, the Holy Spirit is an agent of leading, but the words of the Holy Spirit are the words of Jesus or the word of God. And then again, in, in chapter 16, John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, he says the same thing. The Holy Spirit's going to be active, and the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like Scripture. If you have a voice in your head, and you're wondering, like, is that the Spirit leading me? Or is that just selfishness? The question to me becomes, does it sound like Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit, he doesn't, the, the, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's not going to say anything of his own accord. He is only going to say the words that I've given him. And if it doesn't sound like the Bible, it's probably not the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit sounds like Scripture, and so we trust the Bible. Because God leads us most directly through his word. First objection. Second objection. But Michael, I've read about Jesus' life. I like Jesus. I'm a fan of Jesus. I also would like to put Jesus first. But I have read other parts of the Bible, and the other parts of the Bible don't sound like Jesus. Jesus is a pretty nice guy. But that God in the Old Testament, I'm not so sure he's nice. He's pretty grumpy sometimes. So I trust the Bible. I'm on board with Jesus, but like not everything in the Bible sounds like Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. It's on page 1105 in these Bibles. Luke chapter 24. It's the very last uh, chapter in Luke. After uh, Jesus was crucified, spoiler alert, he came back from the dead. And the disciples didn't yet know that that was going to happen. So many of them are really discouraged, as you would be if the guy that you had given up your life to follow for three years suddenly was murdered. So they're disheartened, they're downtrodden, they're leaving, they're depressed. And as they're walking, some guy comes up to him and is like, hey, um, what's wrong with you guys? And they say, well, we were followers of Jesus. What's, what's a Jesus? <laughs> Are you the only person in town that hasn't heard about everything that's been going on for the last three days? This guy got crucified. Like, and, and we thought that he was going to be the Messiah, but maybe, he, but obviously he's not because he's gone now. So as, as uh, another spoiler alert, the guy who came up to talk to them was the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> and so he approaches his disciples and says, Hey, let me, let me show you something, because they're so discouraged. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 25, Jesus said to, him, said to them, <laughs> Oh, foolish ones. He, is, he isn't always nice, just putting that out there. <clears throat> oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus says, loud and clear, 
the message of the whole message of scripture points to me. From Moses, Moses wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. From Moses to the prophets, it all points to me. When Jesus read his Bible, he saw himself in it. Jesus always was the plan of Yahweh. And we do well to pay attention to what has been said before we're asking for more. So sometimes I, I hear people get into uh, conversations with the Holy Spirit that sound like this, like, just reveal to me your will, just reveal to me your will, just reveal to me your will. And I see their life and I'm like, didn't you, haven't you already read? Like, God's will for your life is that you would, like, not be cheating on your taxes. <laughs> God's will for your life is that you wouldn't steal. God's will for your life is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Like You're looking for direction, but you're not listening to what has already been said. Which is, honestly, as a parent, my absolute favorite thing that ever happens. Go clean your room. Yeah, but what if I do blah, 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 blah. Well, have you cleaned your room yet? No. Well, that's, that's what I want you to do. Clean your room. Why are you never happy with me? I made you, I picked these flowers just for you, Dad. I, the flowers are nice, but I asked you to clean your room. But I want relationship with you, Dad. Like, look, I, I bought you these candies. Like, don't you want these candies? I made this, I made this, I spent my own money to go out and I walked all the way to the gas station. I don't know, I'm making this up. <clears throat> walked all the way to the gas station to buy you these candies. I walked all the way back. It's hot in Florida and they're half melted and I'm sorry, but this is a gift I've brought to you. Like, would you just, would you just accept me as I am? It's like, I do accept you. I do love you, but you still haven't cleaned your room. All that walking and all that sweating and you could have just been done already. <laughs> Are we listening? If the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like scripture, would we know if it's twisted just a little bit? Do we know the truth well enough to identify a forgery? It's not in my notes, but in, in Matthew, um, before the, it's early on in Matthew, I wanna say two or three, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted and the adversary, the devil, comes to Jesus to try to tempt him. And you know what he, he, he does? He tries to quote scripture. And Jesus says, yeah, those words are there, but you've missed the meaning. Like, you're twisting this. That's not what it means. That's, that might be what it says, but that's not what it means. God doesn't give us his word so that we can live in defiance of him. Are we listening? But we also all know that listening and obedience, listening and trusting are not the same thing. I heard you. <laughs> I heard what you said. I heard the words that you said. I just didn't really pay any attention to it. Are we listening? And will we trust God in his word? We read together this morning from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not, who stands not, who sits not 
in the presence of wicked people and their influence, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, regularly washing. His fruit is born every season, and his leaf never, never withers. In Florida, the key to plants living is irrigation. In our hearts, the key to us living is washing in the word. God intends our lives to grow enduring fruit by his word in Psalm 1. God intends to reshape our families by his word. I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to flip, just as we're closing here, I'm going to flip to a couple of different passages. Deuteronomy 6 on page 190. This is early in the book. This is Moses. He's actually talking to um, the second generation of Israelites. The first generation didn't listen to what God said. They all died. Um, That's not the point of the story, but um, just take note. And man, I've got a sticky note over the verses. And I just ripped the page. That's never happened before. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm going to read um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses talking to the Israelites. That you may do them in the land which you were going over to possess it. That you may fear Yahweh your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping his statutes and his commands which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And this is a prayer. Verse 3 is a prayer that the, the Hebrew people pray on the daily, multiple times a day. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing of milk and honey. I, I apologize. Verse 4 is where the prayer starts. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. My word is to define not only your life but also your family. God intends to reshape our families by his word. He intends to grow our, our, He intends for our lives to grow enduring fruit by His word. And God actually intends to reshape eternity by His word. If you look at Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 20, this is again the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God intends to reshape eternity by his word. He intends to reshape our families by his word. God intends our lives to grow enduring fruit by his word. And God has already given us everything that we need to please them. I'll close with this last text in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
beginning in verse 14. Maybe. It's on page... That's the wrong page number. Twelve thirty-three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's the note that I started with. Um, This is a mentor writing to a young pastor. And he knows that young pastor came from a godly family and a godly heritage, that it was his mother and his grandmother who first introduced him to Jesus. And this mentor writes, like, continue in what you learned. Continue in what you heard in your family. Like, hold fast to the tradition, but measure the tradition by what? By the word. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings And the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So our traditions aren't bad. In fact, they're necessary. In fact, that's God's plan A for the word to spread is that people would tell other people. But our words are measured by the word. And our traditions are measured by the word. Because all scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from God's very breath. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is already giving us everything that we need to please him. He intends to reshape eternity by his word. He intends to reshape our families by his word, and he intends our lives to grow enduring fruit by his word. So we trust the Bible. We depend on scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through his word. Would you pray together with me? God, there are relationships that sometimes we struggle to wrap our head around. There are points of intersections and points of mystery that that we really wrestle with a lot. So God, you, Jesus, you as, as the incarnate word of God, clearly articulating to us by example the character of our creator, we look to you and we put you first. And we acknowledge that this book is not you. We cannot and we must not worship the Bible. And yet, you speak clearly through it. You use it to shape our hearts. 
And we're blessed by knowing it. And we're blessed by living it. So would you be washing us clean (laughs) through our community as we wrestle with the text? Would you help us to take you seriously when you warn of dangers and when you tell us what is good and what is profitable? Would we measure other things in our lives by your word and not measure your word by the experience of our lives? Only you can do this. So would you lead us on, Holy Spirit? Would you whisper truth to our hearts? And would our hearts be shaped by them? Would you help us to trust you and surrender to you in the work that you want to do in us? And may our neighbors, wherever they may be, be blessed by the work you're doing in us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We'll take a few minutes and reflect on how God's speaking this morning. If you need to write something down, I I have a terrible memory, so I just encourage you. If you need to write something down, write it down. If you need to text somebody, then text somebody. Uh, If there's a question that you have, then keep track of it. But let's take a few minutes of quiet and just reflect on how God's speaking before we close together in singing today.